0: Friday, beautiful people. Welcome to Love Babs, Love Talk on 103.5 FM, live streaming on the New Haven Independent and uh, tune in and oh gosh everywhere. So if you see me in stripes, you got me. So it's Friday and Friday is my talking day and I'm blessed to have my sorority sister here today and I'm excited because I met this sister at uh, one of the Delta events at the Yale president's house and she she laid some knowledge on me about health equity I was like what (laughs) what what is health equity so Takesha Dean Everett is the executive director of health equity solutions and I was so moved by what she was talking about that I just was like I have to have her on so she could so she could just talk about this some more hello girl good
1: morning how are you
0: i'm fine Good. so before she was on air she we were talking about uh uh, uh, what we was doing last night hanging out (laughs) i wasn't hanging out believe it or not i hang out every night but last night i didn't hang out um but she was hanging out because the the Alphas are in town in Hartford.
1: Yes, ma'am. They're here for their 86th regional conference for the Eastern Region. Yeah.
0: I'm telling you, Connecticut must be hot because, you
1: know, we're having our thing. Right. Last month, it was the Kappas. And the Qs were apartments. in Trumbull. And- Qs in and Trumbull. Alphas right now through the weekend. And then Delta Sigma Theta, we're having it next month. Connecticut is first. looking
0: like D.C. Right? Right. <laughs>
1: They've not seen so many black Greeks I, in this time.
0: Listen, I know black and white alike was like, what is going on? Why are there so many people of color here? So, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, so tell me about health equity.
1: So, I'll start with telling you about Health Equity Solutions, which okay. is a nonprofit that I run. It's a nonprofit, 501c3, located in the city of Hartford, but we have a statewide focus to advance policy and advocacy strategies to get us to health equity in Connecticut. Um, What that means for most people, it translates to health disparities. We're trying to reduce the differences in health outcomes for people of color who live in Connecticut. Um, And we do that mostly by looking at ways to advance the policies and change policies here in the state. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about health equity, and I think this is the thing that got you, because it was a little bit of a difference, We know that we have to monitor disparities in order to know that, but health equity is going beyond just looking at the difference between diabetes rates for whites and blacks or whites and Latinos, but really going into asking, why does that stuff even happen? Mm-hmm. Like, What's the origin of these disparities and what can we do to make those, cha- to make those changes and those outcomes? So, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We've been in existence for three years now and um, I-, I love my job.
0: Now, uh, do you have a health background? Do you come from the health profession? I don't.
1: So let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you when and where I enter on this. Um, I have a, I actually, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as a kid, around the age of like between six and eight, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out my asthma diagnosis. We mm-hmm. had a very hard time diagnosing asthma. And it was mainly because I was on the Medicaid program. Now, this is nothing to say there's anything wrong with Medicaid. But what I learned at that age is I didn't have the best um, access to the doctors and resources that I need because we were on Medicaid. And at that young age, I wanted to understand what was this about and why was this what I felt unjust and unfair. So I learned a lot educated myself became a political science major but all of my work has been at the intersection of race and health so i do have a phd so people call me dr everett but it's not medical doctor mm-hmm. it's phd and i've just studied the healthcare system really well and looked at our policies very
0: well so uh so you knew this at a young age yeah so you knew that there was some inequity even at a young age in this healthcare game
1: yeah it was really interesting we we, we during parts of my life we were on welfare lived in Section 8 housing, and um, were Medicaid beneficiaries. And I just studied a lot. I'm a very observant person, so I love to watch people, watch systems, see how things work. And I just realized that there's a lot that people who are poor, people who are of color, and at the time I was really young so I didn't understand class systems as much as I understood race differences. Mm -hmm. Those are the visual things I could see. I was like, something's wrong here. Why do the people who live on the other side of town have so much more privileges? You know, I had a mom who really believed in education, so I never <coughs> went to the school that I was supposed to go to. I always went to the better schools. So I got to see what real difference looked like. And I was like, something's not right here. Like in America, And mm-hmm. I, Babs, I love the Constitution. I love the Declaration of Independence. Even as a kid, I used to have the preamble memorized. I'd have copies of it with me. But I knew that there were people who are poor and of color who were not being able to live what the Constitution said. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, at, at a young age, I was connected to this and said, we've got to make a change in this world.
0: So when you look at. So what is the most stunning? I'm jumping right in here. Yeah. So because I, I when, when you were, when you were talking at the president's house, because the Deltas had a, a health wellness day at, um, at the president's house. And the first lady um, hosted us uh, uh, from Yale and uh uh Martha Moret. Yep. First lady. And so and we were there last year on a whole different kind of theme. But this really resonated with me because I had never thought about uh I like everybody else just thought about disparities. Right. I didn't think about access and equality of access and you know, and how did we get here? And I just didn't think about it. I just thought, okay.
1: Yeah, and that's the the lens a lot of people take. And I think a part of my mission, a part of the work (coughs) that we do as we're trying to advance health equity is getting people to understand we need to talk about the disparities. There's nothing wrong with making sure that we're clear asthma, diabetes, heart disease, early death. So infant mortality, but even just the longevity of life and life expectancy is vastly different for people of color, vastly different based on where you live. But the core of that is really examining how did we, the United States of America, where we are the land of the free, the home of the brave, one of the powerhouse countries, the powerhouse country, if you will, in our world and our society, have such vast inequity and inequality in people's access and and health outcomes. Mm -hmm. We've got to dive deeper. Sometimes if we're using disparities, language, Um, I like to give the example of saying when you say Puerto Ricans have higher blood pressure than whites or blacks have higher blood pressure than whites, we're doing a few things there. One, we're norming everybody to the white population, which is not everyone's lived experience. But secondly, there's something wrong when you look at that language that almost makes you think there's something wrong with those
0: people. Yes, because white is the standard. Right. Right and and it's used and you know it's so ingrained we use it for education we use it for culture we use it for style and beauty we right. use it for everything and what Ooh, this is good and what we're missing
1: in that is there is a history of disenfranchisement a history of privilege a history of oppression that these populations have not experienced mm-hmm. so you know let's let's call a thing a thing if we are looking at the history of people of color in, in Connecticut, in the U.S., wherever we want to go, our migration patterns are very different. How we got here are very different. Our lived experience over time is different. And I like to tell people I'm a sociologist, so bear with me because I get into these kind of things. Oh, no, I in. like
0: it. Yes.
1: But we have to start looking at communities and understanding that redlining, when we said that only people of color could live in these places and not others. We redlined people into certain sections of places. Now, I'm skipping over slavery. I'm skipping over internment camps. I'm skipping over all the bad stuff we did and talking about the outcomes of that. So we redlined and said, hey, you can only live in these communities. And then what did we do? We don't invest in those communities. So when you go to communities that are concentrated in poverty, that tend to have overpopulations of color disproportionately, what do you find there? More fast food restaurants, more bodegas, more liquor stores. There's no Whole Foods there. Mm -hmm. but people are getting diabetes and we're saying eat better, walk more, be healthy. Well, where are they walking? There are no streetlights. There are no sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And so that's the things we have to start looking at is how are we building these communities and neighborhoods that have these inherent inequities where people cannot make the optimal choices to have their best health. That's the stuff I like to get into. That's the stuff I want to change and look at.
0: I like that. I I, I tell you what I, what I'm most interested in. And when you, when you talked about, Uh, When we are in comparison to white, you know, I think I find that to be quite challenging as I get older. And I think um, shifting that mindset uh, would do us a greater, just a greater service than if we keep comparing whites to blacks, Puerto Ricans to whites, anybody else to whites. Right. Like everything is up against white as if that's the. The 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 epitome of anything
1: exactly, and it's problematic because it sets up it sets us up in in general for failure, dislike and and contention between populations that have more similarities of, than than not. Yeah, when you look at if you could compare some of the more rural places. I have to tell you, so I'm not a native person of Connecticut. I'm not a nutmegger. I've, <laughs> I am now, but I wasn't born and raised here. And when I first came here, and this is my example about how. We are missing the mark in terms of having this conversation. I asked people, where should I focus my health equity work? And people said, I'm sure you can guess New Haven, Haven Bridgeport, Bridgeport Hartford. Hartford,
0: and maybe New London.
1: It, sometimes New London came up, but I went to Willimantic on one of my first trips here, and I couldn't believe no one ever said Willimantic mm-hmm. because there are population differences there in terms of health that are very similar to a Willamette, I mean, to a New Haven, a Bridgeport, and a Hartford. The racial population looks different, but the socioeconomic conditions are similar. The outcomes are similar. The difference is where they're located. So I say this to say, when we keep doing this comparison between black and white, we miss the mark on a few things. The things that make us similar, because if you are not someone who's in the top 1%, if you're not someone who's well-off, from the economic standpoint, we have more things in common than we do not.
0: I don't think poor white people understand that.
1: I don't think they do either. But I, I think also poor that, white
0: people think, "Well, I'm white."
1: But it, and let's be fair; that's true. That is true because even when you control right for things, we still know that a poor white person is going to do better than a poor black person mm-hmm. or a poor Latino person. But we also know that in some cases, a poor white person is going to do better than a well-off black person, yes, or a well-off Latino. But at the same time. What I'm saying is focusing on norming everybody to white is unfair. It's an unfair standard to whites. It's an unfair standard to the people of color. It doesn't honor our lived experiences and who we are. And I keep saying black Latino, but let me also include here, I'm talking about Asians. I'm actually also talking about Arabs, Middle Easterners, who unfortunately the CDC considers as white, but we understand lived experiences is not, if you are not Eurocentric Anglo-Saxon, We understand your lived experience is vastly different Mm -hmm. and your outcomes and health are going to be vastly different.
0: So, so this is, this is a systemic, pervasive thought. Yes. How do you undo that?
1: So I like to do it with, so (laughs) a long time ago I did this thing where I used to have to give bad news to a to a big group of people. And I always say, focus on my smile because I have a wonderful smile and I know it and I love it. (laughs) It's something that I'm highly, compl- like the, it's the thing that I'm always complimented on. You know, the thing that somebody might ask you, what are you always giving a good compliment on? It's always my smile.
0: Me too. So,
1: right? I love it. And it's powerful to have a good smile. But I say focus on my smile because you have to kill this with kindness and you have to address it with kindness. And you have to first start at the mark of saying one of my things that I love to say all the time. Structural racism is no one's fault today. None of us were here 400 years ago or in 1603 or 1776 when any of these things happened in America. We are now the beneficiaries of decisions that were made long, long ago. And and long, long ago that included racism, privilege, oppression, all of those (coughs) things. Well, today, structural racism is not our fault. It's not anyone's fault in this room or anyone who's listening to us talk. However, it is our responsibility to recognize what it is doing in our society, and to combat it incrementally step by step. This isn't something we're going to fix overnight. We're talking years and hundreds and hundreds of years in. Mm -hmm. But we have to have the will, the education to know what it is, to name it and face it, and the will to do something about it. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change your mind. So we have education programs where we go out and we train individuals to understand what is health equity? What is health inequity? What are those words? What does that even mean? What are the links and causes to that? What are structural, what are the social determinants of health that include health and education and income and employment and transportation? All of these things that are determinants of one's health outcomes. And now that I know, what can I do about it? So we tell people what advocacy looks like and what that Mm -hmm. means. And then we move to you, what are the assets that you have in your community to make a change? And so it isn't like something that's going to, again, be changed overnight, but we've got to do something about it. And we go about it from the systems aspect. So it is about changing our policies, our laws, our statutes.
0: So how do you do this work? Like, so you have one conversation for the folks in the community, right? And then yeah. another conversation for my legislative people or people who are, and then maybe another uh, conversation for the healthcare providers. <laughs> like, how many layers to this thing do you have to... So
1: many layers. So they're the, <laughs> they're the people whose experience, whose life they experience this every day. So that's what we like to call the people in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we, and our kind of approach with the folk in the community is we're not here to tell you anything you don't know. You're the experts of your life. You're the experts of your community. So this is a co-learning opportunity. We want to hear from you what you see are the problems and barriers in your community. And we want to help you with the naming and framing. So telling you what other people call it. And giving you what the skills are to change that and helping you understand the systems to change it. Now, that's the community voice. Now, with health providers, because we talk to health providers as well, it's much more understanding the small and subtle ways that what seems everyday to you and what seems just the right way about going about business and doing things is fostering health inequities and is fostering these differences. So we do training around that and what that looks like. We talk to policymakers and be clear to policymakers. Okay, so let's talk to you too about what health equity means. And now, what are you able to do to change it? And here's some ideas. Let's work on. Let's work together on ideas. So one thing that we're working on right now is data. We'll come back to that. But we're saying we need better data, more data, especially broken down by race and ethnic groups. That's a conversation with policymakers and influencers. But um, we talk to everybody and anybody. And one of the things that's really cool about it is we can morph the same message. We're adaptive. So it's Mm -hmm. the exact same message. No one gets a different message, Babs. They all hear the same thing. But we say it to you in the voice that you need to hear it in.
0: I see. So you speak to the people how you speak to the people. You
1: know, a long time ago, (laughs) there was a phrase you got to meet people where they are and Uh take them where they need to go. The first person I ever heard say that to me was Michael Eric Dyson, and I have never stopped saying it since.
0: It's still true. Yes. It's very true. All right. So how many people help you do this work?
1: Oh, Lord (laughs) Jesus. I forgot I'm on Facebook. live. Y'all can see my face.
0: Because it's a non it's a nonprofit, so I know.
1: <laughs> there are three of us total in the office. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you, I'm the executive director. I have a programs manager. Her name is Claudine Constant. And I have a policy specialist who helps me do the work at the Capitol. And her name is Cindy Dubuque. And the three of us do this work together in the office. We have volunteers. We have interns. We have fellows. We have an army full of other folks. And I have to tell you, we're primarily funded by a grant from the Connecticut Health Foundation. And for 10 years, the Connecticut Health Foundation had a health leaders program called the Health Fellows. And we really engage and interact with the Health Fellows as well. It's about 194 total who've gone through the program.
0: Wow, that's a big number.
1: It is. And about 160 still live in Connecticut. So we use them as well in terms of doing our outreach and things. And we're really excited because we're beginning to build a model. We're getting ourselves together to do our train the trainer um, guide so that we can come in. When we come into communities, you heard me speak at the president's house. We're using our train the trainer facilitators guide. So we can now say, so Babs, we, we got you in. You love what we do. <laughs> We got a group of folks who called us in New Haven. here. can you go do this training for us so that we can extend our arms? We really do rely on that mm-hmm.
0: I like that. so talk to me about when you go and have these serious conversations with legislators yes. what what's their what's their pose what, what I mean what do they say to you? Do they hear you? Do they? Are they like me? I'm like, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. You know, are they receptive? Are they willing to help you? Talk a little bit about that. I
1: have to tell you that here, I've had such a great experience here because, what I've learned is a lot of people, um, a lot of policymakers don't have a lot of the information that they need to understand the health system greatly. Uh, that's to understand that's not just the
0: health system. <laughs> well, no.
1: Um, they, and, and, the, the, and we should say the health ecosystem because they don't even understand a lot of times what's happening in communities on the ground around housing. They may know their own community, and this is really important. They may know the communities that they serve and where they come from, But understanding this on a global level of all of Connecticut and how these factors come together is not always something that they understand. Mm -hmm. This is no critique of our policymakers. I think everybody who's listening should know a few facts, right? Our policymakers are part-time, hardworking individuals who have jobs outside of the legislature. Outside
0: of the, yes, and I think people forget that.
1: I think they do. Um, So what's really good and where I have had success is I make it plain. I come in and explain what the issue is, and I come with a solution. So this is the one thing. If anybody's, anyone who's listening wonders how you make a change or how do you make a difference, you don't just complain. Complaining is important, but you link that complaint to a solution. See,
0: I'm I like that. See, yes. that's how I like to think about things. I don't want to come with the complaint. I was like, okay, this is what it is. This is how we could fix it, right, or change it.
1: Exactly. And the thing that's cool about that with the policymakers and the reception that I've re- that I've had thus far is. Even if they don't like the initial idea that I had, I came with a, a I came with an idea and that starts a conversation. Mm-hmm. Cuz now it's like, okay, so this might not work, but let's think about this and what can we do together. So I've had a lot of really great conversations with policymakers. We had a good victory last year around community health workers that was all due to going in and making it plain, using research from a number of different places, putting together fact sheets so that policymakers could understand the issue having community members talk about why community health workers are important, and then ultimately getting the win there. And we're a small nonprofit, so one of the things we can't do right now is I can't put up billboards and tell everybody, like, the big educational programs that I want to do. If I'm doing PSAs, it has to be something that's free radio, free television, and all these other aspects. So you have to use what you can, use what you got to get what you want. (laughs) I like music, so (laughs) I'm going to quote it that way. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and and really start the conversation, and the policymakers in Connecticut are so
0: accessible.
1: I yes, mean, they you, are could, you really could actually accessible.
0: go to their house.
1: You can go to their house, they'll meet you at the coffee shop. Yes, a lot of them have Facebook and Twitter. You can actually set an appointment up on Facebook and say, mm-hmm. hey, can I have grab a cup of coffee with you?" Um, and I I just treat policymakers just like you and me. They're human beings who wake up, put their pants and/ or their skirt on one leg at a time. And have answered a call to public service, Mm -hmm. so I don't denigrate them. Even if they're not on the same side of me or they don't agree, I look like what can we agree on? Like, tell me what we can work on. Let's do something because what I will tell you is, there is a firm desire to make people healthier and happier in Connecticut.
0: They see that they want to do that. Wow, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so how do you measure health equity success?
1: Oh, that's you hitting me with the hard ones this morning, right? (laughs) Uh, You you did hear me say I hung out last night. (laughs) No, but this is where the disparities comes back into play for real in the conversation. We measure health equity success in a couple of ways. One, we see the gap in disparities begin to decline. So if we're looking at the number of people who have diabetes today, we start to see that decline. You also measure it by looking at community needs and what's mm-hmm. happening against those community needs. So little, little known fact, every hospital since the ACA was passed in 2010 has to do a community health needs assessment. Um, they have to involve the community and they have to have an implementation plan. So you start to look at what did they find were the needs of the community and how are we changing them? So if people say they need more housing, better transportation, that those are things that are issues for them, what are the changes that are happening? How do we measure the changes that are happening against those?
0: I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I did not know that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Look it up. I mean, every single hospital. And you know, we have gang. a
0: big hospital here.
1: You have a big hospital here. Yes. <laughs> a big hospital that is, I mean, it's getting bigger.
0: Yes. It's like <laughs> encroaching out. Can you say encroaching out? It's, you,
1: you, you can. It's, okay.
0: All right. <laughs> it's encroaching out. So um, We
1: tend to think of encroaching as in, but it is. It is kind of. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, and they're not alone and in competition in terms of hospitals here in Connecticut is very small. It's a small kind of network of of hospitals that are owning a lot of hospitals here. And yeah. Being very conscious about um, what's happening in relationship to services of that. Not And, and, and I'm going to be very clear. I should have said this at the outset. We are a nonpartisan organization I have friends on every, from my perspective, I make friends on every side where I can. So I'm not um, against hospitals. I actually think the hospitals are good anchor institutions if they use their power well and if they use their influence well.
0: I like that. A good anchor institution, they use their power well.
1: Yeah, yeah. But we also have to recognize when you have one or two hospital systems that own the majority of or many of our hospitals here in the um in the state, we've got to be mindful of what that's doing to services and being, and paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the the hospital here, who owns hospitals, not only here, but down in new London, being very clear, are you having your community needs assessments? Are you responding to the needs of your community in equitable ways?
0: Yeah. Cause you just can't, you just can't be a hospital in the hood and then don't do anything about uplift of the hood. Right. Right. Or right. wherever you are, right. whatever the hood is, exactly. you know, wherever it is. So, so how do you decide which health issue to champion? Because there's a lot. Because right now we're having a lot of conversations around black women and, and losing babies. Yes. Which I had no idea it was at this crazy level. Regardless of affluence or education or all the things that we think we should measure these things by, black women, black mothers are still losing their babies. That's
1: right. That's right. So we try to, when we talk about um, what we're going after, in the first two years, I'm going to tell you what we've done and then how we're about to morph that to be a little different. Um, The first two years, we had conversations with over 200 individuals at various levels across the state of Connecticut, asking them a couple of, a series of questions. What are your health equity issues? What do you think the barriers are to success around health equity in Connecticut? And if you had your dream, Crystal Ball could ask for anything, no matter how much it costs, what would your change be? And we built an agenda based around those answers. Um, a lot of the things that came up were advancing community health workers, ensuring access to health insurance that is fair um, and affordable. We heard a lot about mental and behavioral health needs mm-hmm. and what that looked
0: like. Yeah, that seems to be um, critical, at uh, critical mass, At I think. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who's not affected by mental health. Right. And, 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 and young people and children, mental health issues. I mean, I got it in my family and I'm trying to handle it. So. Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: OK. And then we also heard of a really big need for data because a lot of the complaints that people had in the context of trying to make these changes were we don't know enough, mm-hmm. local enough and recent enough to make actionable changes that we want to do.
0: Okay. And oh, so,
1: yeah. So last year we did the community health worker piece. Cause we felt we could get a good start on that. We didn't get the ball. We didn't get everything we wanted in the room in the world, but we mm-hmm. started a conversation toward how do we get community health workers more integrated this year? We chose to go for data. Um, we thought it was an important year to highlight the need for more data and, we, and I, I should tell you, we look at a whole bunch of different That's why I was right? going
0: to ask you, like, what, what is the data that you're looking for? Because I know there's data out there. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. But you're looking for...
1: You want, you, you want me to have fun right now. Go. Right?
0: Have it. Have at it, girl. So, so when, you look,
1: <laughs> when, you, when you analyze Connecticut, we have, I'll go and say there's about 43 different ethnic populations in Connecticut that have populations above 400 people. So there are 43 different ethnic populations that have somewhere of 401 to up to 24, 5, 6,000 people in the city. Oh, that's an interesting fact. Right? <laughs> um, in, 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 in certain cities and towns, you have over 60 different languages that are spoken mm-hmm. by individuals who live in those cities and towns. But what I asked this really quick question that, no, that I was told you couldn't get the answer to. I said, I want to understand what's happening in health disparities and health inequity. And when I look at inequity, I'm talking about those social determinants of health. So housing, education, all of these different things. I want to know it not only by race, but I want to have it at the intersection of place. Mm -hmm. So look at zip codes, neighborhoods, census tracts, break it down and give me that information. And I want to know it by language needs and ethnic populations, Because one thing is true. There are a lot of things that are true, but I'll give you the one example. Mm-hmm. Is not all Latino is all Latino. So here in Connecticut, we have Puerto Ricans, we have Mexicans, we Dominicans. have Dominicans, we have Dominicans, and all of their lived experiences are not the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All Asian is not Asian. Yeah, <laughs> and the and the Asian one is like really really big for me because it's obvious, right?
0: Right, because it's India, India and it's China. China.
1: Japan, Japan, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, V its like it's a bunch of different countries. And I think
0: we just use a- Asian as a default, like we do, because we don't want to take the time to figure out what the breakdown is,
1: right? And it's and and what we know to be fair—I mean, to be real—in health is the following. And if I just use the Asian population as an example, what we know is if you take a statistic and say overall the Asian population has lower rates of high blood pressure than other groups. So somewhere hovering around 18% is the high blood pressure rate for Asians. But if you unpack that and look specifically at Cambodians mm-hmm. or Vietnamese, yes. it's going to be exponentially higher mm-hmm. and they're being missed in that aggregated number. Okay. And if we want to effectively and efficiently target our resources and our interventions, we need to know that. We need to know and understand the migration habits and patterns and cultural needs and cultural um, sensitivities of different groups because that helps us get the best targeted research, I mean, intervention for the best But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you would think it does, but I'm having a hard time, but...
0: I mean, that (laughs) makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It does. Like, when you do your laundry, you don't put your... Whites, Colored clothes and you color clothes on your whites. Face. You don't. You separate them out, and you, then you break it down even further if they're delicates, right? Right. Like that's right. what you do because you know it makes sense.
1: Never thought about this, but that's such a great example because you, you and you use a different detergent for your delicates.
0: Yes, you do. Then you do
1: the remainder. Yes. What a wonderful example of understanding <laughs> this. We need to be able to better target our research, our resources, and our interventions so that we're not using blanket strategies yes. to solve everybody's issue. When some people need something different and if we're not looking for them, if we're not finding them in the data, we're going to miss the mark. Yeah. So we advanced, a we advanced legislation this year that actually died. And I'm not, ups- I'm upset that it died, but again, remember I said, I look for where people are mm-hmm. and we go where we need to go. So we pushed legislation this year initially to do the sub breakdowns and subpopulations and get to get that information have it reported in such a way that we could actually see that and in target interventions. And it caused an uproar. There are a number of people in the community who don't understand the importance and impact of race and ethnicity on health. There are a number of people who just think we're all American. We all have the same <laughs> life experience and that race doesn't matter.
0: Well, you know, I think, you know, people need to understand that if you if you find solutions for folks that everybody benefits. Yes. Like, so like if you elevate black women and take care of the health of black women, everybody in the community and around the world benefits, right? They just do. So a lot of things,
1: one thing to know about me is I use a lot of, I am statements, right? So I am (laughs) Christian. I am black, but here's the, and this is the thing based on two of those things. This is the best phrase that I've ever learned. If you solve the problem for the least of these, you have solved it for the most. Yes. And so if we target for the folks who are, who are experiencing the worst outcomes, trust me, hon, it lifts the boat for everybody. It does. Because we found a solution that works for the people who are excluded or who are disenfranchised, who can't get their health. And you're going to benefit from
0: that. I think people's mindset is the opposite. I think they think oh, you're going to do more for those people no. and I'm not going to get the benefit of that. You know, that you're doing something special and extra for them that I'm not getting. Right.
1: And I will tell you. And I'm
0: entitled to get because I'm white.
1: Now, not only, and I'm going to take white out of there for a second and I'm going to substitute it because this conversation for me is not just about a black-white continuum or a person of color continuum. I'm going to substitute because I'm white with because I'm privileged. That entitlement is right. But the other part of it is people aren't recognizing their own privilege. And I, we all have privilege. There's not a person listening that doesn't have some point of privilege, whether it's your gender that you have a privilege or your sexual preference that you have a privilege or your race or your socioeconomic status. I have privilege, and I can recognize that. But in our society, we have privileged some more than we have others. And there's this wonderful image that we use when we do our education. of the, And you, you've probably seen it, the equity versus equality, um, the little kids on the boxes trying to look at the baseball game. And what I'd like to tell people is this: the key thing that people miss in that image is they're in the equality side. There are three boxes and they're all standing on the same box in the equity version of that image. There are still three boxes. We just redistributed them. Yes. We gave the people who needed what they needed more. I mean, who needed to see the shortest person so they could get up more boxes. (laughs) And what I say to policymakers and everybody else, I have not yet asked you for another dime. I haven't gone into the legislature, and I'm not telling the policymakers that I'm never gonna ask, <laughs> but I haven't right now asked for new money. revenue money at mm-hmm. all. What I've said is we've gotta look differently at what we're currently doing to be more effective and efficient in our resource allocation to get people to optimal health.
0: So, talk to me about how you walk into healthcare provider spaces, hospitals and clinics and whatever else is out there. Yeah. What's the conversation like when you start there? Right.
1: So now all of we talked about so far has been about policies at the legislative or state level. Mm-hmm. But now we need to also in this part of our conversation, look at policies and practices that health providers, healthcare systems can change in and of themselves. Like you don't need the law to change it. It's a, <laughs> it's a practice or a policy that you have <laughs> instituted that could be problematic. How do you make a difference? And that's the route that we go in talking to healthcare providers and health systems. Let's talk about what you do right now. Let me highlight a few things that I think are critical that you could change that can make a difference and can be impactful. One example, how are you using your com- community benefit dollars? Every nonprofit hospital has, to, has an obligation to keep their nonprofit status to spend a certain amount of revenue on community benefits and benefiting the community. So how are you using those dollars and how are you bringing the community in to that conversation? So are you marrying your community health needs assessment that you have to do with your community implementation plan that you have to do with the community benefit dollars you have to spend? Are you are they all reflecting each other? Are you all using that completely? And if you're not, what's stopping you?
0: So are you the one that asked these questions? Like who asked these questions of them?
1: I have been asking the questions and I ask the questions in terms. I ask the questions when I'm invited in to have the conversation in the hospital or the health, what well, hospitals are the community benefit side. When the hospital invites me into the hospital large, I'll ask that question. Mm-hmm. But I also ask the question to any key hospital person that I meet. Just, just plant that question. I'm not telling you that you have to do something different, but it's a question. Are you, what, what are you doing there? I, it, one of the most, I, I, I want to tell this story really quickly. One of my favorite conversations I've had with hospital administrators was, Uh, around this need about social determinants of health and saying, well, let me just ask you a question. When someone comes into your emergency room and they're filling out all of the paperwork and they don't put an address down, what do you do about that? And they kind of all looked at me a little bit strange and said, well, I don't know what you mean. Well, what do you mean? (laughs) And I said, well, there are only two reasons somebody doesn't put an address down that I can think of. They don't want you to find them or they don't want to be found, so they're afraid either of you, or what is ever happening in the home, Mm -hmm. or they don't have one. They don't have an address. Whoa. Those are two reasons right there that I can think of why they're not putting it down. Mm -hmm. So think about it. I told you, Babs, I had asthma growing up. So let's say I walk into your hospital needing an asthma treatment, and Mm -hmm. I don't put an address down. You can give me that nebulizer treatment all you want to, but if I'm going back to the streets (coughs) without a home or I'm going back into an unhealthy home, you're never solving my asthma problem and I'm going to be back here again and again and again. So if we are truly trying to prevent people from using health care inefficiently, we need to understand and know what their needs are. We need to be able to say to the person who fills out paperwork and doesn't have an address, do you need help with housing?
0: See, that's that's what I was going to ask you about the solution. Like, does that is that. Is that helpful?
1: Yes. And if you in, if you engage cuz there are models and strategies that exist around the country where you can ask that question, do you need help with housing? And to be clear, I'm not saying the doctor now needs to be a housing specialist or the nurse. <laughs> but having that screening question to say, do you need help with housing and then being able to refer yes. them to the place where they can get that to using a community health worker mm-hmm. who can call them up and say, "Hey, this is what we have. This problem. is what I
0: know. This is Exactly. You know, I can't do anything tonight, but I could do this, this.
1: Exactly. Okay. And I'm not going to say that I'm the reason this changed, but I just want to I use this example to say by asking that question, we now have some initiatives that are going on in Connecticut where hospitals are trying to figure out how can we screen for these social determinants of health and then refer people to get what they need so we can get to better health outcomes. So these are the kinds of conversations we're having. One of the things that I... um love when you look at our strategic plan as kinetic as, as the um as health equity solutions we have this word catalyze in it and i love the catalyze piece because what catalyze says for health equity solutions we don't have to be the entity that makes the change i physically dekesha and my team doesn't have to be the person who makes the change and we don't need the glory for it either But if I sparked something different in you Mm -hmm. that made you go back and look at your processes differently Mm -hmm. and you made change then I did that catalytic thing that I'm supposed to do, I sparked the change. I initiated that and moved it forward. So we don't take credit. We use leadership and collaboration and coalition. It's all of us together. But these are the kind of conversations we're having.
0: That's a good conversation.
1: Yeah. Is it a welcoming conversation? I haven't been turned away yet. I love my job. And I love this goes back to the smile. I love the fact that I can go in and have these really difficult conversations about structural racism and institutional racism <coughs> with people who either didn't think about it before or who have been resistant to it before and say, hey, let's just start with what you can start with. Let's not get overwhelmed with all the reasons we can't do something. Mm-hmm. And let's find the one thing you. Well, can you know, do.
0: when you say that it disarms them. It does. And gets them out of fight mode, like she gonna come in here and tell me, you know, we racist, here or we, we
1: go again, somebody tell me we ain't I'm doing racist. enough, or. And I like to, you know, I use a lot of, I'm sarcastic, I'm funny, I'm witty, all of these different things, but I like to tell people straight out, I don't even really <laughs> care if you're racist, I really don't. Like, if you don't like me because of my skin color, at this point, that's not the question, it's not the point. You are a person who has power, influence, and privilege in whatever institution you are in. And if you believe that it is unfair and unjust for people to have these types of mm-hmm. situations in our state, then let's work there. If your racism excludes you from being able to advantage people in, this con- in Connecticut, then we don't have to have a conversation. I want to be clear with everybody that's listening and with you, Babs. I'm not here to save people who don't want to be saved. That's not my job. Or as
0: Iyala says, I'm not going to fight you for your healing.
1: Honey, (laughs) no. I'm
0: not going to do that. There
1: are too many people (laughs) willing, ready, and able who want to see a different Connecticut, who want us to be more equitable, who want to be a thriving economic driving force in New England, and that starts with having healthy and happy people. Mm -hmm. There are too many people in the state who want that. And I don't need to waste my time for the with the folks who don't. Wow. I will be honest about that. I don't. And there's no hardship. There's no heartache in it. I still smile and say I love you. <laughs> We're all God's children, whichever God it is that you that you serve or But I'm raise. about
0: to move on down the road. Thank you. <laughs> right. It's like I'm done. This because, has been a great, this has been a great conversation, Keisha. I've been I'm telling you you have to come back out again because I love this conversation. Yeah. I love it. I loved it when I met you at the president's house. And, uh, and it stayed, that whole vibe just stayed with me and this is still staying with me because I'm so, um, I'm so interested in all of this, right. And access and entry points and how communities are, 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 are being served. Um, and you know, because I'm a woman of color, I'm just thinking, I'm always thinking about, you know, if we could benefit, if people would just say, you know what, let me, let me just wrap more services around black women. Because that will just elevate communities like you wouldn't believe. Right. You know, if we had better access to health care and mental health and housing and all these kinds of things that would, you know, because we are the we are the workforce of most things. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're well, everything else can be well. Right.
1: And I don't. I don't want. I want to make sure that I don't leave you without
0: some action steps because you know I love
1: Uh-oh. action steps. Okay? Bring it, bring it, bring it. Come on now. So we're gonna bring <laughs> it back. The legislature is in for another two weeks. That's it. The business is gonna be done by May 9th. So there's an infant. Mor- there is a maternal mortality review committee bill because oh. you talked about the inf- the relationship of Black mothers, regardless of their economic status, dying at a higher rate from uh from infant from birth from childbirth. Mm-hmm. And there is a maternal mortality review board that is being, um, that's in legislation now. I believe the bill is SB 302. If I have that wrong, I'll let you know. But just type in the words. If you go to cga.ct.gov and type in maternal mortality, you'll find that bill. I think it's important for us to really support that bill because we need to understand what's going on. What's, what's happening right there? We need to look at stress. And trauma and all of these things and have a very informed way of understanding how race, racism, stress and socioeconomics fall into play in the lived experiences of black women who are having childbirth and having these poor outcomes. Mm -hmm. Now, my data bill that I talked about, we didn't get the bill that we wanted. There's a compromise language that gets us where we need to go. And at least at a start point, it's not everything that we wanted. But I never throw the baby out with the bathwater. I try to negotiate. <laughs> so House Bill 5415 is another opportunity that will help us get health equity data. And I think this is important because it will help us. Remember I said I wanted to know the intersection of race and place. So it talks about collecting data on gender, socioeconomic status, geography, race, ethnicity, and language that will help us get the data that we want. So these are important, impactful things. And you can learn more about these at H-E-S-C-T dot O-R-G.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. I want you to come back because I want to talk about where else in the world where you see um, successful health equity played out. Yes, I'd love to do You that. know, seriously, because yeah. I've, I've got friends who do global work. Yes. And, I, you know, I have this vision in my mind uh, about sort of bringing all these pieces together on some level I don't know if it's under the umbrella of Delta or whatever it is, but yeah. I I just know some folks on the global field, and I thought, ooh, this is a good conversation to have and see where where everybody are, where everybody else is on this issue around the world. So, Takesha, it. it is my pleasure. Thank you. For Thank for you so me. much. All right, so I'm gonna play us out. I'll be back at the ten o'clock hour uh, because I've got Jeff Fort coming on, and we're gonna have a, a wonderful conversation about. Um, um, accessing uh, mental health services for oh, that's kids excellent. oh that's but great through the legal system he's an attorney so i'm i 'm very interested in having this conversation because i didn 't even know you could do that yes. so so this will be great so i'm going to play us out Harry Takisha, sora it's a pleasure having you here today thank you